Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that it does, he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you, to Psalm 1 here, and your word has shown us that there are two paths. There are two roads. There is the path of the blessed and righteous, and there's the path of the wicked and the cursed. And today there are some who are on one road and some that are on the other. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that uh, by your Spirit's power, that people would be moved from the path of the wicked to the blessed path, the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, we uh, also ask that the, the seasoned pilgrims here who have been traveling on the way of the righteous, that, that they would be encouraged by your word today, that they would grow ever deeper in their delight in the law of the Lord and, and uh, be ever faithful in meditating on your word. Lord, may they uh, drink richly of your stream, of you, so that they may bear fruit in any season. I pray, Lord, that uh, also, in particular, that as I begin this calling as an under-shepherd here at this church, that, that, uh, that the ministry that you've given me would be marked continually by helping people drink deeply of you and your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a common little phrase that's uh, going around our culture right now. It's a little three-word phase. A phrase. It's uh, you do you. You do you. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, it's uh, it's uh, terribly vague, isn't it? <laughs> you do you. But I believe it's intended to uh, be a message that promotes uh, individuality as the key to personal happiness. You do you. And it has a close cousin, be you. Uh, they uh, their, their message is used to tell people, uh, hey, I'm not judgy. Be whoever you are. Do whatever you want to do. Live however you want to live. 
Don't let anyone define you. You define you. Make your own identity. Be your own brand. I don't care who you are, just be happy with yourself. You do you. This uh, message, it's it's supposed to be a self-esteem booster for those who are insecure, uh, for those who uh, are questioning who they are and and aren't happy with themselves. It's uh, meant to set people free from social pressures. But what do you think of this phrase? Do you think being yourself, creating your own identity, and, and never changing for anyone will bring you true happiness? I don't, and I don't think God's word would direct us in that way either. In Psalm 1, uh, God points us away from finding happiness from within ourselves and orients us to becoming like someone else, like the blessed man. The, the model man or woman, boy or girl, who lives a truly blessed and happy life. So do you want a happy and blessed life? I mean, I think everybody does, right? Well, Psalm 1 shows us how we can live a blessed and happy life. But it will require you to change. Let's consider Psalm 1 as, as a whole right now uh, before walking through it verse by verse. Uh, psalm 1 is uh, it's obviously the first psalm out of 150. And it's actually a wisdom psalm. There aren't too many wisdom psalms in the, in the Psalter. Uh, and so, so what's, a, what's a wisdom psalm? A wisdom psalm has, has language that is characteristic of wisdom literature, of uh, books of the Bible like, uh, like Ecclesiastes or, or the book of Proverbs or the book of Job or even in the New Testament like, uh, like the book of James. And so wisdom literature, it often speaks in, in black and white categories, speaking about the wicked and the righteous, uh, the foolish and the wise. It often speaks to, to the way or the path uh, to walk on, uh, how, how we are to live life uh, so that we might truly be prosperous. And speaking of prosperity, wisdom literature, it often speaks uh, about prosperity uh, in a very uh, unqualified way. <laughs> if you do this, your life will be uh, blessed and be like this. Uh, very unqualified and not, not very nuanced. Uh, psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm and it's, it's intentionally the first song because we need wisdom to come to the psalms. Uh, otherwise, the psalms truly won't make any sense to us. Uh, we need to see life through the lens of, 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 of how God sees things. I mean, that's true wisdom, isn't it? To see life how God sees it. So we need wisdom to come to the psalms. Because Psalm 1 is the first psalm, I believe that uh, we should see Psalm 1 as an excellent starting point for those who, who, are, uh, who, who are young in the faith, uh, for those who are, are new in the faith. I think it's a great starting point for, for young children, for teaching young, ch- young children God's word. Uh, in fact, Psalm 1 was the first passage of scripture that I memorized as a young boy. Uh, I memorized it with my, my mom and my older brother. 
And I've never forgotten it since. It, uh, it gave me easy-to-understand category, categories for all of life. There's two ways to live. There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. There's also uh, a, a judgment. There's going to be a judgment one day. And there will be uh, the, the, the wicked will go in one way and the righteous will go another. It uh, speaks about two voices that you can follow. You can follow the counsel of the wicked or you can follow the voice of the Lord. So these, uh, these, these are all fundamental truths and, and they're, they're essential for, ch- for children, for youth, uh, for those who are, are new to the faith. And of course, it's so important for, for the seasoned saints who have been walking on the way of the righteous for a long time. Learning Psalm 1 sooner in life rather than later, it's, it's like getting Amazon stock in the late 90s. <laughs> the, the sooner you see the two paths of life and begin walking on the blessed path, the greater the impact will be on the rest of your life. So today, we'll walk through Psalm 1 and we'll consider the blessed man and how you can live a truly blessed and happy life both now and forever. So let's look at, look at verse 1 here. Verse 1. Verse 1 and 2, they speak to the character of the blessed man. The character of the blessed man. Verse 1 uh, speaks in particular uh, to what the blessed person consciously avoids as he or she walks in this life. Uh, verse 2 then will speak uh, to what the blessed person delights in, what they consciously take in. Verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here we see three lines of who and what a blessed person avoids. And notice how, notice how, how, how each line gets progressively worse. It moves from walking to standing to sitting. It gives a sense of, of a progression of becoming more and more settled in the lifestyle of the wicked. The person who occasionally agrees to, uh, to following the counsel of the wicked may become more and more entangled in the way of the wicked and eventually becomes the person who sits in the seat of other scoffers and mocks God and the Christian faith. The blessed man or woman, boy or girl, does not live his or her life by the counsel of the wicked. Now let's, let's consider three things about uh, counsel and advice from unbelievers. First, let's consider when, when it actually is wise to get counsel from uh, unbelievers. And then uh, second, uh, let's consider when it's always wrong to get their counsel. And third, uh, when, when does it take much wisdom to discern uh, uh, whether to follow their counsel or not? So first, when is it wise to get an unbeliever's counsel? It's important to note that this verse here, it's, it's, not, it's not speaking against 
uh, asking an unbeliever for advice about you know things such as like oh you know what what's the best lawnmower to to to, to buy, uh, what medicine should you take, uh, how should you decorate your living room, you know these are uh, these 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 areas, um, the this passage isn't speaking against. <laughs> Uh, some aspects of life may have no sway on your faith. Uh, plumbing advice from a Christian plumber might actually not be as good as plumbing advice from a more uh, experienced uh, non-Christian. Uh, I believe it's harmful for Christians uh, and their witness to never get advice from, from unbelievers about these types of matters. What it does is it, it rejects the image of God in all people and the common grace that God has given to the just and the unjust. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus ate with sinners, didn't he? He, he was around sinners. He ate with sinners. He heard what was, whatever was on their mind. But the difference with Jesus was he said that uh, it's, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, Right? But what comes out of a man that defiles him, and so we can we can hear the counsel of the wicked, we can be around uh, pe- uh, uh, other people who have a different perspective on life, but uh, but if we don't follow that way, um, that's that's not the problem. So some people have used this passage here and and uh, uh, to say, hey, you know, we need to separate ourselves completely from unbelievers in all aspects of life. And that's not what Psalm 1 is speaking to. That's not the life that uh, Jesus has called us to live as we walk in this world and as we engage with uh, unbelievers. All right, but uh, second here, when, when is it always wrong to get an unbeliever's counsel? What areas of life do we not get their counsel? When we are seeking to answer the questions, uh, when we're seeking to answer uh, uh, questions to the Christian faith and to life's most important questions, uh, we do not go to the counsel of the unbeliever. So when we ask questions such as, uh, where did the universe come from? Is there a God? Who am I? What's wrong with this world and what's the solution? Who is Jesus? Is there life after death? What's the purpose of my life? All of these questions are so important to the Christian life and to to your faith. And the wicked will not give true answers to these questions. No, that doesn't mean we go we, that we don't ask those questions of unbelievers to see what they think. I think that's very it's uh, very interesting to engage with unbelievers on those questions. But to seek after answers that we'll live by from unbelievers is not uh, is not wise. And uh, furthermore, the the blessed person also does not seek counsel from unbelievers about how they are to live the Christian life, because unbelievers do not know God's law. And they do not obey God's law, but they, they follow the laws of maybe perhaps uh, their own different religion, or uh, they just are their own moral compass. They are their own lawmaker. You do you is an example of counsel from the wicked. 
So, so we don't go to the world and, and ask, uh, is, it, is, is divorce wrong? Can I have sex before marriage? Should I go to church or not? Uh, what should my prayer life be like? The uh, counsel of the wicked will not direct us on the path that God wants us to in these matters. Third, uh, there are there's many more complex situations where more wisdom is needed. We we need to be discerning of an unbeliever's financial advice, therapeutic counsel, political ideas, educational advice for our children, legal advice regarding conflict, um, and even uh, entertainment recommendations. Sometimes their counsel could be very, very helpful in these, uh, in these areas. But sometimes their counsel could be against God's will for your life. So these areas, they're, they're, they're difficult to navigate. And so the blessed person is wise and prayerful and discerning and does not follow the counsel of the wicked when it would take him off the righteous path of life. So now let's, uh, let's move to, to verse 2. The blessed person isn't simply defined by who or uh, what they avoid. As we see now in verse 2, the blessed person is ultimately defined by who they do listen to. They listen to the greatest voice. Verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The life of true happiness is filled with growth in understanding and enjoying God's word. And you'll never get bored of it. I mean, just ask any longtime believer here, and, uh, and they will tell you that that is so. The Bible is infinitely deep because it brings us to an infinite God. And it tells the most wonderful story of redemption from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Here, the, the word uh, for law here in this context refers more, more broadly to the instruction of the Lord, which, which is not only the, uh, the commands and law portions of the Old Testament, but also to the whole of it, including the Psalms, uh, because uh, God's word is all interconnected. So we meditate on God's law, on his whole instruction from his word. Now this verse says that the blessed person meditates on God's law, how often? Day and night. So, so what does it mean to meditate on God's law day and night? I believe here that it means that uh, the blessed person is one who is regularly reading, hearing, reciting, thinking on God's word, and then continually considering how to live it out throughout their day. As they go about their life, they're considering how to live out God's word. Now that that may sound a little overwhelming, <laughs> uh, if if uh, to to many of us, if not all of us, if we're honest, uh, especially like if you're a mother with 
you know, children in the home, or if you're working multiple jobs, uh, or if you are in uh, deep, deep <laughs> educational studies right now, or, or if you just have one job that's especially uh, demanding. Life in its various seasons uh, can be very, very busy, and it's a challenge some days to take in any scripture whatsoever. Some days you can hardly think of a, of a, of a promise or, or a verse. And maybe uh, life gets so overwhelming that maybe all that you can think about in the moment is, God is with me. God is for me. Perhaps you feel bad about yourself in those days and you, you maybe you, beat, you just beat yourself up and think like, oh, I'm a bad Christian. I can't even think of a uh, verse right now. I can't even spend any time in, in, in the Bible. Perhaps you, uh, you sit down to read and after only about a verse or two, you are interrupted and your day is off to the races. Can those little bits of scripture, can those little bits of promises, can they be of any benefit to you? You might be wondering. Yes, they can be. They most certainly can be. Do not think that, that a single verse or promise of scripture has just this limited benefit to you, dear Christian. Think of each verse, you know, perhaps this is a silly example, but think of each verse like, like an everlasting gobstopper from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. You know, in that story, the, the everlasting gobstopper, it's a type of candy that never disappears, no matter how long you suck on it. Each promise of God is it's, it's kind of like that. Or uh, think of uh, each verse uh, like like Lammas bread from the Lord of the Rings. It's it's a type of bread that can satisfy your hunger with one small bite. Every verse in the Bible is heavy and dense and rich and useful to you and will bring you to Christ as you meditate on it. So do not dismay if you're in a season where, where you can only take in small bits of, of, of Scripture. Hold on to whatever portion the Lord gives you for the day. It's enough to help you walk on the way of the righteous. And also remember that as you walk on the way of the righteous, the Lord is walking with you as well. No matter how much Scripture you read that day. Now let's uh, turn now to verse 3. We saw the, the character of the blessed man in the first two verses. Now we'll consider the prosperity of the blessed man. The prosperity of the blessed man. Read with me verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Here, the blessed man is compared to an ever-fruitful tree with roots continually supplied with water. We first see from this tree that it ever bears fruit and, and, and never has a withering leaf, no matter the weather conditions around it. Though the blessed person faces cancer, though they live in a time of a pandemic and can't gather with other Christians as frequently, 
Though their country be politically unstable, though they live and face with perhaps financial distress, though their plans to further their career are stuck, yet they will still bear fruit for God. Their faith will not wither, though it may be challenged and stretched and and feel like it's coming under fire. The faith will not wither. They will continue to do good works, to be a light to the world, to praise and thank God for His goodness toward them in Christ. This is true prosperity. Habakkuk the prophet was a blessed man like this. He prophesied during a time when Israel and Judah were were divided and rebellious against God and, and Israel had already been overtaken by the Assyrians. So what came out of Habakkuk's mouth in those dark days that he lived in? How does a blessed man speak during uncertain and even dangerous times? I'll read from Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. You don't have to turn there, but if you'd like, Habakkuk is it's the fifth to the last book in the Old Testament. It's just a small little book and it's easy to thumb past. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk did not see fruitful fields and livestock around him. But his heart bore fruit for God, nonetheless, as it rejoiced in God. He was strong. He did not complain. He did not grumble. He did not curse God. He worshipped. This is the true prosperity of the blessed person. This is the blessed life. Now, what about the wicked? As we learned two weeks ago from Psalm 73, the wicked often live very prosperous lives. But what will become of their earthly prosperity? Verse 4 gives us a look. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked are compared not to a fruitful tree, but to useless and dead chaff. Now, what's chaff? Well, when a farmer harvests grain, he needs to separate the wheat seed from the casing around it. Uh, and and, and any other inedible and useless part of the wheat plant. Back in the day, the wheat was was tossed into the air, and the wind would blow the chaff and separate the wheat seed from from its casing because the wheat seed was heavier and it would fall to the ground, and the chaff around the casing was lighter, and the wind would just easily blow it away. And so the 
wheat seed and the chaff would be separated. The wheat would fall then to the ground and then be collected. So also the wicked will be separated from all of their prosperity on earth. And they will then be blown away to perish. As we look now to verses 5 and 6, we see another separation. A separation of the wicked from the righteous and from the Lord. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here we see another attribute of the blessed man. The blessed man is one who stands in the congregation of the righteous for the final judgment. There are two roads to life. And whatever road you're on at the end of life will determine what will happen to you on this day of judgment. On the last day, God will raise everyone from the dead, the righteous and the wicked, and all will come before his judgment throne, and there will be and there they will be separated. The wicked will be separated like chaff from the righteous, and the righteous from all ages will gather together for the first time as one visible church. And they will be shining like the sun in their glorified bodies as they take their stand at the right hand of God. Because of this, there will be no mystery to anyone as to who will be declared guilty and who will be declared innocent. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, for they will be found guilty for sinning against God's holy character, against God's holy law. And they will perish forever in hell. The righteous, the church of God, those who are blessed will forever dwell with God and enjoy pleasures forevermore. Their happiness and their joy will increase as they live with their father and their elder brother Jesus and their family, the church, forever in unhindered peace and unity in the Spirit. Jesus himself spoke of these two ways and he urges you to choose the right way. He says in Matthew chapter 7, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So how might we find this narrow gate and enter onto this way that is hard but blessed? This leads us to our second point for the day, that to enter the narrow gate, you must realize that the blessed man is not you. The blessed man's not you. You're not good enough. Now you may say, oh, hey, I live a good life. I'm, I'm good to my family. I'm, 
Uh, I'm I'm good to my neighbors. I've never really done anything all that bad. Uh, I haven't been arrested for anything. I mean, I haven't even gotten, you know, a speeding ticket or anything. But not being uh, all that bad, not being too bad, and, and just being generally a good person is not the requirement for being the blessed man of Psalm 1. Just simply look at verses 1 and 2, and you'll see that you won't measure up. The blessed man does not take any counsel in the wicked. And each one of us, if we're honest, we have done that. We've, we've walked on the way of the wicked. We've followed the counsel of the world. We've all lived according to the cultural norms that are actually contradictory to biblical norms. Treating others according to what's acceptable for today rather than being God's call, uh, be, being guided by Jesus' call to, to, to love our enemies, to love our neighbors, and to not just love those who love us. We often uh, avoid certain people uh, that maybe the world calls them dangerous or, or losers. But the Bible calls them your neighbor. We've often uh, uh, lived the life of the, um, uh, of, of, of the wicked person <laughs> and not lived the life of the blessed and righteous man. So at the judgment, we therefore deserve to perish with the rest of the wicked. We are not righteous. So if we aren't righteous, is there any way that we can be found righteous? If we can't do it ourselves, if we're already declared guilty, what can we do to be righteous? We need to know that the blessed man is not you until you find your refuge in the blessed man. The blessed man. Now let's look over in your Bibles to to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Psalms 1 and 2, they're they're actually joined together as two psalms that introduce all the psalms. One reason we know that they're linked is because the first verse of Psalm 1 and the last verse of Psalm 2 form what is called an inclusio or an envelope. Look at the last verse, the last line of the last verse in chapter 2. It says, Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. So the theme of blessing bookends these two chapters. Psalm 1 is about the marks of a blessed person. And Psalm 2 is about the Son, the Messiah, the Christ, the person where all blessing is found. All who are truly blessed are those who are found in Jesus. Are those, they are those who take safety and refuge from God's wrath for their sin in Jesus. Jesus is the Psalm 1 blessed man. He never once walked in the counsel of the wicked. Although he ate with sinners, he was never persuaded to be like them or to think like them. Jesus delighted in God's law fully and continually and lived it out perfectly, loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving his neighbor as himself. 
Day and night, Jesus did whatever the Father told him to do. And day and night, he said whatever the Father told him to say. Jesus was righteous and innocent. But then the blessed man, the blessed man, became the cursed man. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. It's right after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, all the way to verse 14, it says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Wow. (laughs) Here, Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, which declares that unless you obey every aspect of God's law, you are cursed. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. We are not justified or made righteous before God by perfect obedience to the law. Because we can't do it. (laughs) We've already disobeyed it. Praise God that he has provided another way. And that, is, that way is through faith in Christ. Through faith in the one who did live the law perfectly. We live the blessed life by faith. Now let's look at verse 13. Here is the gospel. Verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here we see everything come together. Everything that we've been considering and looking at today comes together here in Christ and His work on our behalf. Here we see that the blessed life is possible because Jesus Christ, the blessed man, redeemed us. We were cursed. We were the wicked walking on our foolish path and Christ took our curse for us when He was hung on that tree, on that cross of wood. Jesus took our curse and we share in His blessedness. He took our sin and we share in His innocence. He took our sin and we share in His righteousness. God promises to you, Christian, in verse 14, that through faith in Jesus Christ, you can receive the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham. 
And what was the blessing of Abraham? It is, as the text says here, it is the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us God's blessings today. And the Spirit is the guarantee that you will receive all of God's blessings in heaven. So, if you have never done so, enter through the narrow gate of faith in Jesus Christ. Take refuge in the Son and you will find true blessing, true happiness. Turn away from following the world and its counsels, from its you-do-you counsel. Walk on the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the true blessed life. And for you saints, who have been walking on the way of the righteous for many, many years, stay the course. The grass is not greener on the other side. Jesus said, that this, uh, this way of the righteous, it would be hard, but he has also promised that you will still prosper. He's also promised that he will be with you wherever you go. One day, we, as we continue on this path, it will lead us to join the congregation of the righteous. And we will then enter into the eternal joy of our master so let's continue to walk on the way of the righteous let's pray Lord Jesus we praise you that you took our curse we do not deserve to be blessed not in any sense do we deserve to be blessed we don't deserve to prosper we, each one of us, deserve hell, for we have left you. We have gone our own way. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took our iniquity upon yourself. Lord, we ask that we would walk wisely in this life, that we would meditate on your word day and night as we are able. Lord, I ask that you would increase our delight in your law. That for those of us that feel like we're just, that things are just kind of cold as we come to your word, that we don't know where to read, we, and we read it and, and, and it seems to uh, just uh, land on us in a dead kind of way. Lord, I ask that, that you would increase delight in your word. Help us, Lord, to, to walk in this life, to navigate according to your word. Thank you for each person here. We pray now that, uh, that you would help each one of us to encourage each other to walk on this path. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.